Hi, I'm Alyssa, and this is Born by Accident. Whoops, I totally screwed up and lost the introductory part of this episode. Sorry, I will not let perfectionism stop me from getting these episodes out, and you're just going to have to deal with this one. Um, Also, my audio is still funky here and there, and I'm sorry about that, but I am still learning how to record with two people and in different environments, so please just give me a little space to figure that out. Other than that, I think you are going to love this. It kicks ass. And you're about to hear from David Rosenthal of the Future Plant Medicine Portal. We go way back and we are talking about when he had his fire cider company, Pure Fire Cider, and he worked out of my commercial kitchen. Here you go. And David was making the best fire cider ever, Pure Fire Fire Cider, and he came to use my kitchen to make that. Yeah, yeah. which, by the way, still making fire cider. Yeah. And thank you for that opportunity because I was struggling with where to bring the business because the previous place that I was in, the guy didn't like the smell of apple cider vinegar. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so we were positioned to grow there a little bit. And he just came in one day and he's like, the customers are complaining about the smell of the vinegar. And so just had to pivot really quickly to- Oh, because he was in a restaurant, right? He had a a, a juice place. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was a juice place. And we were making it in the back and storing it in the back. And It's so funny because I don't even remember it smelling that strong in the kitchen. And we had bakers in there who were making like wedding cakes and stuff and they never had anything to say about it. It was kind of a challenging moment, but uh, the world unfolded perfectly and we had the opportunity to produce it. Love you, I. <laughs> <laughs> so cheesy. <laughs> So that was the name of the kitchen, and I spelled it all weird, but the idea was I wanted to have love in the name, but I was being obscure. And so instead of calling it the I Love You Kitchen, I called it the Love You I Kitchen, and I spelled it E-Y-E and used the I of Horus as part of my, um, what do you call it? My uh, Logo. Logo, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what it, what an obscure name to try to remember and tell people. So that was like not a great business decision. But, you know, it's cute in the past. I remember the very first time I talked to you. And it was before the time you called me again to get into the kitchen. It was like months and months. And I was like, is this guy for real? Like you were so motivated and so hyped on what you were doing. And I got on the phone with you and you were telling me all about it. And I was like, okay, like, I don't, I don't know if we have the space for what you're doing, but okay, dude, bye. (laughs) I just remember when you called me again, I I didn't realize it was the same person I was talking to for a minute because you were in a different space. Like, I don't know if it was like, you know, the excitement of like first starting something is a lot. And like, maybe you find like you may, you were like, okay, now I'm at like a more gentle pace with it. Then I was like, oh, this is that same guy. Okay, he's not crazy. He's just like, <laughs> was really pumped at first. And then you did come in and that was that was great. It was a fun time to have you in the kitchen. I don't have that kitchen anymore. David actually m- bought it. And I don't have that kitchen anymore because <laughs> David <laughs> sold it to one of the producers that was really growing and expanding. And that was just the perfect opportunity because I was transitioning out of Asheville to South Carolina. And so it all kind of flowed pretty effortlessly. And 
in closing that chapter here, but now I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> a year later. And you went to South Carolina for the beach, right? Went to South Carolina for the beach. My ex-wife, who was from Brazil, was not a fan of the cold weather. And it was kind of COVID that moved our process along a lot, fa a lot faster than it would have normally moved. She was living in Sarasota and I was traveling back and forth there and it was working out really well. And then when COVID hit and they started the lockdowns and canceling flights and just all of that, we didn't know when we were going to see each other again. And the house that she was living in had got black mold. So it was kind of a really great opportunity for her to like get out of her lease. And I couldn't move to Sarasota because the business was here. So she came to the cold weather and held out as long as she could here. But really her soul's calling was to be around water and to be around the beach didn't work out and uh well let's say it completed its cycle yeah yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. it worked itself out it worked itself out. maybe not the way you were yeah, expecting yeah definitely completed <laughs> our cycle my ex-wife is now back in brazil and uh it was a i'm so grateful for the lessons we had a lot of relationships and a lot of marriages. There were the beautiful times and then there was the the challenging times. And I really grew as an individual as a result of our coming together. And so I'm really grateful and really blessed that we had that moment in time together for me to become a better version of myself. And I really thank her for that. I would say probably one of the like really big things that changed for me was that she was also a psychologist, which was interesting. I learned a lot about triggers. And I would say that that was probably my greatest lesson in all of this was that if I'm getting triggered by something, by a situation, by someone, by a person, that that's something within myself that needs addressing and needs healing. And that was a big lesson for me because there was, there was times during this relationship where I got really, really triggered. And, you know, she said to me, she's like, you know, if you're getting triggered by this, this is something that you need to look at within yourself. And I had the toughest time like wrapping my brain around that. But now that I have, it just makes so much sense. There's a, a great book. I don't know if you've ever read The Untethered Soul by uh, Michael Singer. And It'll go on the list now, though. Yeah, it's a really great book. And it's about, you know, one of the things that he says in the book is about not allowing external things to affect your internal peace. And that if it does, take a breath and then let it go through you. And not saying like not to address what needs to be addressed, but now you're coming at it from a very different space and a very different energy. You're not coming at it from a very reactive yeah. space. You're coming at it from being more at peace within yourself. It's a much better space to address it than it is to address when you're angry and triggered and so how do you remember that when yeah, you're feeling reactive? Yeah, yeah, I guess after the the times that I've been through it, it, you know, now just being in that better place of what I like to call inner standing instead of understanding. Mm. I understand myself more than I did. So that was definitely a lesson. Another takeaway from this was boundaries. I didn't even know like what it was to set a boundary, you know? And so I've definitely learned about that. I would say a third takeaway, which is another bit like massive one for me is that I found it very comfortable to play the victim role. And when things were starting to unravel in the relationship and it had to do with some health issues that she had and I was struggling with compassion and, and, and certain things at that time during the relationship. But wow, I just, the thought just left me where I was, <laughs> where I was going with that. Um, it's okay. 
she had to go back to Brazil with these health challenges. And I was left in South Carolina with everything. I found it very easy to play the victim of like, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is this all on my shoulders now? As opposed to like stepping into my power and being like, okay, this is all on me right now. Let's make shit happen. Like yeah. let's, let's grind. Let's do whatever it is that we need to do to make it through this time in my life right now. And I just played the woe is me card all the time. While she's going through the illness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's no wonder you get choked up thinking about that. Because yeah. That's got to be a hard thing to yeah. like, make peace with. Yeah. It was, it was a moment in my life where it was time for me to grow up. You know, it's like I'm this like 59 year old kid that hasn't really grown up yet. And that was an opportunity for me to really step in and like be the man in this situation. And I let myself down in that. That was definitely a lesson that I learned about. Just stop playing the victim and the woe is me. And it's like, just change the perspective of what's going on and, and look for the solutions instead of wallowing in what's not working. Yeah, it's, I get what you're saying about the stepping up and quote unquote being the man or yeah. whatever. But I also hope that you can appreciate the kid in you that, has lasted because that's one of the cooler things about you. When I first met you, I never would have guessed your actual age. And still to this day, you don't look your age. <laughs> you look maybe my age, you know, yeah. and I'm 20 years, almost 20, I'm 17 years mm. younger than you. So like, there's something very young, definitely yeah. about your spirit that is a good thing too. So I hope you can appreciate yeah. that and not totally yeah. knock it down. And I don't yeah. think that from, from, the perspective of someone who wasn't in that kind of relationship with you, I didn't see like a hardcore Peter Pan complex happening, <laughs> but I don't know what, what uh, your ex-wife might say, you know, but I, I understand. And I think that's a very common thing that at least men in America have to grapple with at some point. In a lot of households, I don't think they're asked to do quite as much. And I don't think it's on purpose necessarily. We struggle with it in our yeah. own household even. We try to make sure that we ask our sons to do as much as we ask our daughter to do. It's tricky, especially when uh, the girls end up being faster and easier and to deal with and all yeah. that. And the boys put up a fight about it. It's just like, oh, well, I'll just ask the girl to do it. Yeah. You know, I think that that's not fair to our growing men. You learned that. You learned how to step up for someone and not do the victim. I was also glad to hear you talk about the triggering thing because one thing that I've been a little conscious of in my podcast is because uh, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and in a lot of different podcasts right before they talk about something that could be triggering, they'll say, okay, this is a trigger warning, warning for yeah. <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. And fast forward if you don't want to hear about that. And I don't do that. And I felt like, is this bad? That I don't do that. But the thing is, is like, I feel like my whole podcast is a trigger. <laughs> so I'm like, if I did that, it would just be constant <laughs> trigger warnings. And so, I mean, I could almost name it yeah. the whole podcast trigger warning because it's yeah. a whole bunch of that. Yeah. So, and I've actually thought about triggers in the same way where, and I'm, I, I, I just, I do, don't want to hurt anyone who still has a lot of sensitivity to different things but I do agree that when you're feeling triggered I don't know that it's totally the world's responsibility to tiptoe around the person being yeah. triggered yeah. I mean obviously if you're close with that person and friends you can be gentle with them but if you're being triggered by things and you're not working on I yeah. think it's a sign to work on them well, you know, I was going to say too, like, I like the fact that you're not doing this trigger warning type thing, right? Because what's really missing, I feel like in this society right now is this vulnerability, right? And feeling safe to be vulnerable. 
And I decided that on this podcast with you today, like I was not going to be guarded about anything that I would say here today because vulnerability is like the new sexy. Like <laughs> it really is. And especially in men. Yeah. When you can find men that can be vulnerable. And I, I think I think we struggle with finding a safe space to be able to do that and not be judged and not feel judged. And uh I have been really embracing being that vulnerable person because I know there's somebody out there that's going to listen to this and is going to be like, I know exactly where this guy is coming from. And I appreciate the fact that like he wasn't guarded and felt safe to share that and doesn't care about what other people think. We need more of that in the male population here being more compassionate and more vulnerable. And I cry a lot. And I know that growing up, the programming in the society was that men who cry are weak. And that is about as far from the truth as you could possibly get. Because really, the people that I surround myself with, these men cry. And mm -hmm. the strength that comes from being able to be in that position to feel safe, to be vulnerable, and to get these weights and these things off of our souls is truly what the what the strength is. Yeah, I hear you a hundred thousand percent. I've been watching people in my own life discover these things, and it's really beautiful. I'm curious. One thing has come to mind while you were talking about that. So I've heard something somewhere that it's really tricky for men to have close male friendships sometimes because they're raised in this way of who's going to be the alpha mm. in this very competitive mm -hmm. sense of like I'm better than you you're better than me who's better mm -hmm. instead of like a more team sense mm -hmm. a lot of times not to say that everyone is raised that way mm -hmm. but a lot and privately in your own family you may be raised differently but as a whole society I think that's the message yeah. right if you're hanging out with your bros like Who's the best bro? Who's right. going to shoot the most baskets? Who's going to do yeah. the best in their career? So when you go to hang out and be just friends with a guy before these revelations you've had, did you feel comparison quite a lot mm. happening to where you weren't able to be vulnerable? Because yeah. yeah, I wanted to be the class clown person in the group, like the one that would make people laugh and the crazy kind of person. But yeah, it you know, it used to be where you want to be remembered, you know, you want to be kind of, you know, when ego is involved, it's, it's wanting all the attention on yourself or as much of the attention on yourself. But like at this place where I'm at now in my life, what I think is so amazing right now is there's a lot of men's circles are popping up. It's a lot, especially here in, in this town. And those spaces have become so powerful for men to gather and to be vulnerable within the group and to have that perspective of another man's like, I got your back and I'm here for you. And like, you know, we're all going through these things, whether it's in our relationships, whether it's in our workspace, so stoked about all of these circles that are popping up, which is something they really didn't have. Men didn't really have that. And I'm not talking about like where you all go into a football game and you're hanging out and tailgating and that sort of thing, but like a space where like you're actually going to do the work and to, you know, they have this thing called the Mankind Project, which is a, a gathering of men that go and, and do work together. Um, through different exercises and and uh, protocols, and they have them, I think, like in every city, pretty Is it much. Like a festival set up, like you go for a few days. Or no, uh -uh. they they normally gather like once a week. Oh, okay. And it's men that are gathering to to assist each other in the healing of of other men and what they've got going on in their lives. And there's a whole protocol that they follow as to. It's really it's fascinating. Um, but it's exciting that there's more of that popping up. And also, too, for women, too, there's a lot of, like, 
just women's gatherings for women to to gather for the same thing. So what do you think? Because I notice through my children and through the other younger generations, this binary of man, woman is really shifting as well. Mm -hmm. It's a whole spectrum of gender identification. Mm -hmm. It depends on where you live and how accepting the places. So obviously we're in a more progressive area out in some other areas or different countries or wherever there might be less acceptance. I just imagine overall, because I believe everything is connected, (laughs) like (laughs) all the kids are evolving into this new place of like, maybe it doesn't have to be one or the other. So we have these men's groups and these women's groups for us what they call boomers now, even yeah. though you're not a baby boomer, yeah. you're old, you're just a boomer now. That's what they call yeah. it. But like I had a, I had a hard time recently, uh, a couple years ago, I was going, there was a women's gathering out here. I was going to try to restart it. It stopped during the pandemic and I was going to try to restart it with a few women. And during the whole time I was thinking about it, I was like, but it just feels so weird. Like it's so comfortable for me to be around other women. It's definitely a magical space just to be with women, but setting up a whole gathering for just women felt so almost antiquated to me. I do think the men in the older generations definitely need what's happening, but like, what do you think like the future holds for stuff like this? Because at some point we got to stop putting people in boxes. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's just people. Is it just people? (laughs) I don't know. I'm not asking if you know the answer. Maybe you just have more questions, but I'm that's something that I've had questions about. Yeah. You know, it's almost like I feel like, okay, so we have like the men are all gathering. Right. And the women are all gathering and the men are going there to do the work and the women are going there to do the work. And then like, where is where is the gathering where they come together and evolve together? That is awesome thought right there. Yeah, because it's like okay, now that we now that we've each respectively done our work, mm-hmm. like where where are we now coming together to show the fruits of that labor? Is it it just reflects in the relationship or I've definitely heard of like couples retreats yeah. where they will bring together. Yeah. So a lot of times the thing that's hard for women is to get into a role of deserving and receiving. So that's our work to do mm-hmm. is to get into a role of, oh, I, I can receive these things or I do deserve to get treated a certain way or I, I don't have to constantly grind to be accepted. I can sit on the couch and do nothing for a while and yeah. that still doesn't make me any less of a queen in the world. You yeah. Know? And then for men, the vulnerability and then the couples retreats I've heard of coming through I can barely remember. I want to say it might even be under John Gottman's stuff because mm-hmm. he's like an amazing couples and relationship yeah. guru. John and Julie Gottman do a lot of work on that. I've talked about it before. There was some exercise where the men had to come kneel down and, and kiss the woman's foot or something. Yeah. And I can't remember the other side of it, of course, because why would I want to remember that? And it was like, I was like, yeah, that's great. Like, yeah. Because for me, there was definitely a, a it was like an overnight moment of discovering worth. Mm. Like there was no wor- wor- like I I wasn't worth it. Like yeah. I wasn't worth the things I thought I, th- that I wanted, so I wouldn't get them. But there was this overnight moment where I was like, "Wait a second. <laughs> I think it happens to a lot of women in their 40s." Yeah. Like it's I talk to a lot of women in their 40s right now. I'm 43, so like it, it seems like we're all kind of doing the same thing where we're like um, some people might call it a midlife crisis. I call it a midlife realization yeah. where you're like, fuck this. I'm not handling this anymore. I'm not dealing with that anymore. And if you're in a cisgendered hetero relationship and the man hasn't done his work, then it's like, okay, now you need to do your work to yeah. become able to be vulnerable like you're talking about. But yeah, the coming together, that would be something that would be really interesting for sure. How do you do that outside of the idea of couples? Yeah. I bet you would generate a lot of couples <laughs> yeah. in, in a gathering like that too, because it would be really beautiful to see. 
Yeah. I think, too, if we can get more people on stepping away from the televisions and stepping away from the social media and stepping away from the electronics and just spending more time in nature. Do you think that's happening at all? I have like this weird feeling that the younger generation, like, like each kid I have is different, but I don't think that they're using it as much I, as people yeah, think they no, are. You know, I get talking about a trigger. It drives me crazy when you go into a space like a restaurant, right? And you got the family there. Let's say it's mom, dad, three kids having dinner. And like all the kids are on phones. And it's like, here, use this device to keep yourself occupied while we're in this setting, as opposed to like when we grew up and we didn't have these things that like those gatherings were so important around the table. Because it was a time for us to share what was going on with our day and to hear what was going on in the family dynamic, and which can be good. And <laughs> you're lucky. I'm to be. just dying over here because you know I have three kids. Yeah. Okay. And right now they're 15, 13, and 10. I try not to talk about them too much yeah. on the podcast, but yeah. as I, I agree completely, and also <laughs> that family at that restaurant may just be coming back from something very stressful and they're like, fuck it. Let's just let our kids be on screens. Yeah. We'll sit in peace instead of them throwing fits and meltdowns because they're emotionally or mentally exhausted. Or like (laughs) last night I made dinner and I put on a 15 minute timer on Alexa. I was like 15 minutes guys. I'm like, I just cooked a great dinner. All I want is Like, this is so classic, right? I just want 15 (laughs) minutes. Can we do 15 minutes? First of all, two of my kids have ADHD. So, like, sitting for them alone is hard. Yeah. And so one basically just stands up around the table. Yeah. You know, and that's, we have to accept that. It's just too hard. Um, And they they had already eaten as well because we all eat on different schedules too so like dinner being around the dinner table doesn't always mean everyone's eating it just means we're gathering for 15 minutes so we have the one that's not in the chair and then within like a couple minutes we've all somehow upset another one and they've (laughs) gone off to their room with the plate and then it's my husband myself and one other child who gets up and says oh i'll start putting things away and that's very kind and everything. But the 15 minutes still isn't even up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then they start putting things away. And then I'm like, oh, well, I'll start putting things away. So here I am, the yeah. one who wanted the 15 minutes. And I start putting things yeah. away, too. And the, and then the timer goes off. And it's just my husband sitting at the table. And he's not upset in any way, shape, or form. But it's just yeah. so, so funny. Like, we cannot get that. It's so hard to get that 15 minutes. Yeah. You know, I have a really good question for you because I'm, you know, I'm not, like, I don't have any kids. And do you feel that these devices have become a way for a parent not to parent because the parent doesn't even know how to parent? Or are they even taught how to even parent? And I feel like that can be the case in a lot of instances that it's just easier because they because we don't even know how to parent properly. I think it's the opposite in a way. I think we are so overloaded with information that it gets to a point where you throw your hands up because mm. you're like, there's too much. You know, in the 80s when I was growing up, they had to have a commercial to remind you to remember if your kids were home. <laughs> It's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Yeah, right. Okay. I can't even imagine sending my kid outside of the house without a cell phone now. Like, that would freak me out. Like, I need to be able to contact them or know where they are at all times because they're my babies, you know? Yeah. But the information overload has gotten me to a point where I say strive to be an 80s parent because we'll never be that unattached from our kids ever again. But if you just strive for it, you might hit a middle ground that's actually healthy because it is so stressful to be a parent right now with all the information out there and all the do this, don't do that. It's like, oh my God. So the screens, I think it, I think each generation had their own thing, you know? I mean, even back to just books. Yeah. 
and then radio and then TV and then our video games we grew up with and now all this other yeah. more advanced stuff. I, I mean, they all have a different effect. And there are days where my husband and I are just like, F it. And we just let them have at it all day yeah. Yeah. because we're so busy or we have stuff to do. But when we do remember that our children have a great time without screens as well, yeah. we have times where we take take them away or have them earn it. We try not to do a lot of rewarding or punishing, which could be our to, yeah. to our detriment one day. But like we try to do a lot of talking through things. But I do think our kids, you know, are have a, a small sense of entitlement. They've grown up very privileged, yeah. and they have some. Pretty cool parents, so um, they they have a balance, but it, there, there isn't a lot of consistency. We've tried to do schedules, but it is just a nightmare because kids will come up with, I mean, screens are meant to be addicting. Of course. So they'll come yeah. up with every excuse in the book, just like any addict would, yeah. to continue to be on their screens. Yeah. So like even when we set up a thing that shuts on and off on its own, it's like a oh my god! I was in the I was just about to I'm in the oh I can't believe you just shut that you know and then so we yeah. turn the schedules off because we're like yeah. okay if they only need two more minutes to complete the mission or whatever yeah. the fuck is happening like <laughs> we'll let them have the two more minutes but is it really two more minutes no it ends up being two more hours is, and then like yeah. can I be on top of three other people's yeah. no it's so frustrating yeah. actually so as a parent dealing with screens there really is no good answer honestly it's just do your best and yeah. you know like you have to have grace with yourself about it yeah and then like i definitely have moved from a place of judgment on most things and and that includes screens i heard someone say there was something once where this mom was like yay to you mom who is on your screen at the playground on the bench and doesn't give a fuck about what anyone else is thinking mm. because maybe they just need that minute yeah while their kid is playing yeah to check an Instagram message their friend has sent them and they don't need other parents around them going, Oh my God, look at that mom, not even paying attention to their kid on the screen yeah. on the playground. You know, it's just having grace and, and tolerance for where everyone is at. Cause you really don't know what anyone is going through at any yeah. given time. Yeah. So does that answer? What yeah. you're saying? <laughs> Perfect answer. It's so, it's really hard. Yeah. I just, yeah. I do think that they have definitely shortened our attention span overall, though, as yeah. adults and kids. Yeah, absolutely. My attention span is shit. Oh, I'm like, I'm literally like Pavlov's dog with the phone. Like, I hear the ding and I'm like, yeah. Like, I'm searching for, like, where's my phone? Like, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's something I'm really working on where, like, turning the phone off for a certain period of time and you know also too when you're running a business it's it gives you a little bit more of an excuse because that ping or whatever mm -hmm. could be a customer or it could be something and and that's another thing to also think about and work on too is like do i have to be accessible to everybody all the time right in away. their right away in their time frame right as opposed to honoring myself and loving myself and being like, okay, from the hours of this to this each day is when I am going to do this. And I'm saying this to myself right now as a reminder yeah. that I, I don't have to be accessible to everybody all the time, all day long. Like I'm going to, I want to set up a time where I give that time to people and get away from this Pavlov's dog. Every time the ding goes off, like I'm reaching my, for my phone to see who it is and what they want and how can I be in service to them and not honoring myself. And that's all about boundaries. So I can't remember what we said yet on here, but before we started recording, we were talking about a little bit where your head's at right now. Yeah. And since you said you weren't going to hold back, so I, <laughs> I guess you won't probably mind if I mention it, but you know, going through a little depressive phase because mm -hmm. a lot of crap that's happened and yeah. it's so understandable we all deal with it and then i just briefly brought up like saturn return stuff which you know whatever astrology is 
take it or leave it, but that is where you're at, the second yeah. Saturn return yeah. stuff. So the people who are into astrology out there will go, oh gosh, you know, yeah. they'll be they'll yeah. understand exactly what that means. So when you're in that state of mind, how can you help yourself remember that you're worth the space yeah. to not answer your phone? You're worth the space to do whatever it is you need to do like how do you remember your king self yeah wow that's the million dollar question really yeah because i am in this space right now of and like i said you know like uh, on this podcast like i'm not going to hold anything back like i am i am really struggling with my being an integrity because i haven't been an integrity for some years now with just some decisions that i've made well, so can you define integrity to me? What What is your definition of integrity? Doing what I say I'm going to do, living up to contracts and things that and people that I made promises to and business things. And let me guess your intentions were when you made the promises yeah. to do what you said. Yeah. 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 My, and then you couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, my intentions were always to be of the highest and greatest, but I allowed the victim role and I allowed things to to steer me off of my path and to live up to these contracts with people and things and just found it so much easier to, you know, it's so easy to find excuses why not to do things. And I lived in excuse mode for years. Now it's being in this quote unquote Saturn return. It's been a very heavy process for me because it's a lot of the decisions that I made in the past are now in my present and needing to be addressed. And so it's been a heavy time for me and um, uh, I find it very easy and I'm sure a lot of people uh, who are listening to this will resonate with this. I find it very easy to beat myself up and I've become really good at it. And that's something I'm really working on, like having the compassion and love for myself that things happen in life and situations happen. And sometimes we can have the best of intentions, but, you know, we get derailed and having the compassion that it's okay, but like make a plan to, because you can continue to live in the in that space, but right. it's like, all right, let's make a plan. Have you done that? Yeah. Well, you're kind of worried. you're in the yeah, limbo. Yeah, yeah, so I'm in the process the worst, of that. The, the limbo, yeah. the waiting, or like yeah. the indecision yeah. planes of living. Yeah. That is like the hardest. And I think like once the wheels turn a little bit more, like you're kind of at the you're at the you're waiting for someone else right now yeah you know and i understand that so that's that's so hard i mean if it was just up to you you could go out and make a decision on something yeah. and get things going yeah. and that would feel better because it's kind of like working out <laughs> to me like if you if i i could be in any shape body wise mental wise whatever but if i am at least going if i am at least exercising yeah i immediately feel better it doesn't matter where I'm at. I know this is another subject for you, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I Like, literally, I can walk. I literally can walk to my gym. I don't know what happened, honestly. I mean, I, I, could, I guess I would attribute it to falling out of love with myself. Like, before I moved here, back in 2014, living in Miami, going to the gym four or five days a week, just so focused on my health and my appearance, you know, that, uh, and I, and I said, I, I will not be, I will never be that person that is doing what I'm doing right now, which is like not taking care of my body, not feeding it optimally. Yeah. Again, it's just kind of another aspect of myself where I just, I fell out of love with myself and in that process I went from working out all the time to arriving here and just rarely working out, finding every excuse in the book as to why I'm not going up there and, and doing that. And Well, if it helps you at all, 
the main reason I work out is for mental health. Yeah. Because if I go more than three days, I start, I can tell, I start to lose it a little bit. Yeah. It's like hydration or something. Yeah. Like I, the very main reason I work out is for my mental health. Great side effects. Uh-huh. Or I was yeah. in shape and all that. You know, of course I love being strong and the number one reason is mental health. But I have to say, as far as you falling out of love with yourself, it's funny to be on the other end and watch you be more human every passing day. And if you, if every, if everyone could see themselves from someone else's perspective, you know, I know you're down right now, but like you're going through something that's making you even more human, which will hopefully allow you to love yourself more than you ever have before. Yeah. So hopefully you'll have this moment of getting to fall back in love with yourself. You know, I, I sent you that infographic when we talked on the yeah. phone, right? Yeah, the, yeah, the guilt and shame. Yeah. A few times lately. And I think it has a lot. I think there's a lot of shame like swimming around right now. And well, it's just not helpful to anyone because I don't want to give excuses for people who have done really terrible things. You know, I mean, obviously there's people out there that... I don't know, have to be locked up or whatever, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, your quote unquote average human being like shame is not helping anyone. We are not bad creatures unworthy of care and love and taking care of ourselves or doing what we have to do to make ourselves feel great. Number one, being in the present moment versus letting our monkey minds remind us of how shitty we are constantly yeah i don't know where i was going with that all the way yeah oh the being more human i talked about this a little bit when i was talking about um a friend of mine and i did an episode called our holy days which was about our 20s when we were hoeing around (laughs) and i had recently read and I talked about this book so much on the podcast. It's called Mary Magdalene Revealed. Mm. And it was a very good book. It's about how, like, going from a virgin to not a virgin, and now you're less human. Why is it that way? Like, why aren't you now more, more human? human yeah. Because you've had more of a human experience. So, like, that applies here, too. Like, you're going through another thing that's making you even more human. Yeah. Which is making you fuller and bigger and even more worthy of loving yourself in the end right yeah yeah definitely (laughs) i've got my like guy smiley smile (laughs) twinkle trying to convince you but you'll convince yourself yeah so what are your plans other than the one you're waiting on as far as like being able to catch up on your past situations Mm. what do you have coming up like what are you brewing i know you're brewing something uh, figuratively. Yeah, there's a, a new project that I'm working on that I'm very passionate about that is in the building stages right now. Uh, it's kind of taken a small little backseat to um, other things that are that need to be addressed. The new project is called Plant Medicine Portal, and it is your plant medicine toolbox And it's providing tools and resources to guide people safely on this plant medicine journey. And when I talk about plant medicines, it's mainly medicines that are coming from like the Amazon. And some of the listeners might not have heard of things like ayahuasca and peyote and San Pedro. Those are both cactuses and just some other plant medicines that have become incredibly popular here in the West. And the aspect of these ceremonies that is really lacking and missing the most is the aftercare or the integration aspect of this process. Because these medicines, these plants, these teachers, when you sit in ceremony with them, they open you up. And when you're that open, you need the support because they're life-changing. And when you, you know, let's say you're in a You don't have a great living situation. You don't have a lot of support from friends and family. And now you go and you sit in ceremony with this plant and you get this incredible mind-blowing realization about your life. And now now you come back to your life. And that hasn't changed, but you have changed. Mm -hmm. And it's being able to integrate that process because it's a very 
challenging process to integrate. So the portal is providing a space for people to feel supported in that process of the integration. We will have vetted psychedelic and plant medicine integrators as part of the conversation. At a lot of these ceremonies, the real work is not taking the medicine. The real work happens around the fire. And so the name of the integration group is called the virtual fire. What do you mean by around the fire? So there's there's a fire that is in these... An actual fire. An actual fire. Right. Yeah. And that's really where the work... The, the, the fire is a very powerful conduit for, right. for the healing process. Okay. And so that's where a lot of the work happens is sitting around the fire, talking about this experience. Well, that's a really nice callback to the moment too. Because if yeah. you're like online getting the support yeah. through around the fire, yeah, already my brain is going to moments where I've been around the fire yeah. and it just feels so, oh, it's like a nice blanket just yeah. to think about the name of it alone yeah. because you're like, you put back into that space where you feel really supported. Yeah. Before you even get started. Yeah. And that's, and, and really this whole portal was being built kind of for myself. So I've had some, and recently in January, a very challenging ceremony around ayahuasca. And the fact that there was no support afterwards is to me almost criminal. Like if you, if you are stepping into this position of facilitating these medicines, and that's another thing, too. There's a lot of people in this space that are facilitating medicine that have no business facilitating medicine. Right. That, like, what I like to say is they're walking in front of the medicine uh-huh. instead of behind the medicine. Right. So it's a very egoic, it's a very financial, and it's not honoring what these medicines are there, mm-hmm. like why they're there and, and how they should be shared. And, you know, it's one thing when you're doing these medicines in the jungle. When you do them in the jungle and you do them with the tribe, the tribe is the integration. You're going back to that space, whereas here, we're not doing them. You're going home. You're going home. To your apartment. To your apartment, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we, we come into a, a space of camaraderie with the people that we're doing this medicine with oh, yeah. that are going to be assisting and holding the space of that container for that ceremony in that evening. And then the next morning, because the ceremonies will go throughout the night, and then the next morning, there's like this gathering of an hour to, in, to talk about your, your process and, and, and what, what came through for you. And then you leave. You leave the camaraderie of those people. You leave the camaraderie of that space. And you go back to your life. And if, you know, if this is like the first time you've done it, it's completely mind blowing. And if it's, if you've done these medicines before, it can still be, and kind of being left to figure this out for yourself and thinking that a one hour integration circle is enough is so, is so crazy to me. Like, I mean, integration can go on for years. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some spaces out there that will provide like up to three months of integration afterwards. And the portal is also going to reach out to these like retreat centers and that sort of thing. Like, let us be your after aftercare because there, you know, three months isn't enough either. So let us let us provide the space because I know that when I'm around the fire and I feel in a non-judgmental safe container that I can be vulnerable and I can share and I could know that I'm not alone because 99.9% of the time when you are around these fires and you think that what you're going through, you're going through on your own, there's always somebody that's sitting across from you or somebody that's sitting at that fire that's like, I know exactly where you're going, what you've been through, what you're talking about. You are not alone and I'm here to support you. And that's just something that's so desperately needed in this space right now. So these medicines have changed my life. And I was thinking of a way, like, how do I get back? How do I give back to the medicine? How do I get back to these indigenous people that um, are carrying this medicine for the most part in a beautiful way? And how do I support these 
women that are making these beautiful, what are called pintas, this jewelry that's around my neck. Like, how do I, how do I give back to that community for how it's affected me? And that's kind of where the portal is, is coming in and being a place of providing the tools and the resources and the jewelry and the tapestries and all the things around so that we can give back to the, these people, but then also to educate people on what they don't know about this space and then feeling supported after the fact. So the first time I ever experienced any of this type of medicine, it was just, well, I don't want to say just, it was DMT, which is the chemical in ayahuasca yeah. that gives you the experience. And yeah, it was a super profound experience. Apparently I went very deep. DMT is a 15 minute thing. And I had been out for half an hour and to a point where a friend came to check and make sure I was okay. Cause it, yeah. it was wonderful. I mean, not here to encourage doing these things because like David has said, it is a very, it can be depending on you and depending on the medicine, it can be a very intense experience and you don't want to do that without proper preparation and experts 100%. and integration in the future. But anyway, back to my story. I, when I first did that, um, and it was, I was, I was on a high for an, a figurative high, not still an actual high. I don't even like calling it that cause it doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. Cause when you say people are high, you kind of like think about drugs and I don't yeah. think of these medicines as yeah, they're not drugs. drugs. They're medicine. So, um, what I mean by being on a high is I just was on like a on one of the highs of life, like a roller coaster, like feeling good and and noticing the beauty in a lot of things. Like I would go to the grocery store and I would look at an orange and it would be practically glowing in a, in yeah. a different way because of the nutrition in there. You know, yeah. I mean, it just is a different perspective. But as the months went on, yeah. I became very depressed because I it's almost like I had touched quote unquote heaven yeah and seen what could be but then like you said came back to my life and not that my life was terrible or anything but it it wasn't this uh utopia of right. what could be right and I was very frustrated that we weren't living life a different way because of the life-changing experience I had. And I right. had seen that we could do it a different and a better way. Yeah. And so I just became very depressed. I didn't, if had I had something like what you're talking about to help me integrate, like, you know, you probably heard that saying, um, be, uh, before, before enlightenment, chop wood and carry water yeah. after enlightenment, chop, chop wood, wood and, and carry, carry water. water. Yeah, absolutely. That really actually, once I grabbed onto that, it yeah. helped me a lot because I was like, no difference in what I'm doing day to day other than my perspective now, Yeah, which is great, you know, like, and I, I did work myself through it eventually, you know, but it was, I did go through a pretty dark moment there and it would have been very helpful to have people guiding me yeah. through I don't know if the people who gave me the DMT would have known to lead me to your yeah. organization, yeah. your future organization. Yeah. But if I, I might have found it on my own on the internet through searching things. So that that is definitely very needed. And like I, I since then I have done two different ayahuasca nights. Mm -hmm. But yeah, exactly what you're talking about with the moment in the morning and then you're gone and like you don't meet with the, the same group of people ever again. And you have this like amazing connecting moment and then poof, yeah. it's gone. And I do feel like I get like this set of homework that night. Yeah. Like, it's like, okay, the, the medicine, the teacher, the whatever, yeah. like, here's your homework for now. This is what you're going to be working on. Yeah. But like you go home with homework and then if you need help on your homework <laughs> and there's nobody to right. ask, yeah, exactly. like, you're going to be in therapy. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, Sometimes I think the medicines can be a fast forward button yeah. to reaching a point of knowing that people can get to through meditation or whatever. I think I just am an anxious person and I want to learn yeah. faster and more. Mm -hmm. And so like that's why I dove into that stuff. Or I think sometimes it just happens because it's supposed to. 
the first ayahuasca time I was, I had literally, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about, but I literally thought of it like the day or two before I was like, huh, I wonder if I should do that one day. And like two days later, someone called me and was like, hey, <laughs> we're going to do this thing. Do you yeah. want to join? I'm like, well, clearly I'm supposed to because yeah. that's just too wild that I thought of it and then it came to me. And so, you know, I do think for some of us, it's very helpful and and it's really interesting too. I'm going on a tangent now, but I that first time I sat in a circle with like 14 people, and we had every level of effect from none to extreme. Yeah. yeah. And so that alone to me, I was like, wow, there's really something interesting happening here because um, if you sat 14 people down and all gave them LSD, they would all experience a hallucinogenic yeah. trip. Yeah. Like it would be pretty similar. Yeah. But if you sit 14 people down and give them all ayahuasca, everyone is going to have a completely different experience because whatever is going on spiritually in that medicine is only going to give the person what they should be receiving. Yeah. Yeah. There's a saying, you don't always, you don't always get what you want, but you get what you need. My kids love that song. Let me tell you. (laughs) I have to play, I play like one note of that song and I'm like, stop it. But yeah, you know, like it's very interesting that what you said about these medicines too, and, it, and it's another big message with the portal, which is like our message is to get people off of the medicine because we are the medicine and these medicines are a tool that have become a crutch for a lot of people. So, you know, in your experience with the DMT, it's like, oh my God, I, I, I met the creator, right? Like I, and I got this message of like what I need to do, but I'd much rather just go back and meet the creator again than to do the actual work so that I don't that so that I don't need to keep doing this in order to get to that space. And so that's definitely one of our messages is that it's very easy people it's it's just another addiction that people are chasing they're chasing that high they're chasing that high they're chasing that high and really what our message is is like Use it as a tool, and now let's integrate this experience to the point of where you don't need to use the tool again. It's you know, it's it's no different in a sense of like a pharmaceutical, right? You don't want to be on pharmaceuticals for the rest of your life. Like you, like when you take it, you're taking it for a purpose, not to stay on it, but to like get off of it. And that's kind of our message that we're putting out there too. Is like, if it, first of all, these medicines are not for everybody, for sure. They say that when you're ready, it shows up. And I think that's kind of what happened with you in the DMT is like it came into your awareness. You kind of felt something about it and then, or, or the ayahuasca and then boom, two days later, like it was ready for you to, to, to dive in and pray. And so, yeah, it's really, it's getting people off of this hamster wheel of having to keep doing them and keep chasing and keep, and really take the experience and then let's show you how to integrate it in your life and that you are the medicine and that life is the ceremony. That actually blows my mind because for me, I cannot imagine getting into a spot where I would want to constantly do that because it was so intense. Yeah. And like I said, the homework thing. And I was like, there's, I have so much here that I've seen or been given or yeah. I just feel like there's no way I'd be ready to touch that again for a long time. And that's why there's only been three total times. It's the one DMT time and the two ayahuasca times that I've touched it because yeah. I've, the first time was because I, I had been interested in experiencing that and it became available. And so I did it. The second time was the time I thought of the ayahuasca and then it, it appeared. And that was another amazing time. The third time I saw it out, I had been going through a very difficult year yeah. Um, of grief over my the loss of my sister and I had some family problems and I thought it would be a good help mm-hmm. and it wasn't like the other two times at all it was very different but it did help me to let go of some things I needed to let yeah. go of I basically cried the whole night yeah beautiful but there was a woman in the circle who was I mean, it was like, if you could imagine an exorcism, she was going through it. And I knew this woman before that time. And she was so grumpy 
And she was so, like, snarky. And, like, I'm like, I can't believe this lady's going to come to this thing. Like, I don't even know how she ended up here. After that night, she's a whole new woman. I cannot eat. I don't even know what happened to her. But something was, and I'm using the word exercise. Yeah, absolutely. Not a demon, but like right. we had, uh, you've probably heard his name. I don't know if I should say it, but the, the guy, he also does like combo ceremonies around town. Mm-hmm. Starts with a J. Yeah. Okay. He was there and he was doing all kinds of stuff with her, with some feathers. I don't know Absolutely. what, but it was yeah. she. So she kind of was the focus of the night, which maybe was part of it for all of mm-hmm. us. I mean, and it's really wild to think about that because if you've ever done this kind of medicine for something to be so powerful that your experience ends up being focused on what they're going through versus like your own process, your own process, it's a big deal. Yeah. So whatever was going on with her that was worked out was huge. And it was, it's an incredible thing to remember at the time, I was a little frustrated because yeah. I was like, can you quiet down? Like, I'm trying to do my own thing here, you know? But yeah. that, that, oh, yeah, only the three times that was the reason I was talking about this in the first place is I can't imagine getting into a spot. But I know it happens because I've heard of it too, where people constantly want to chase that. Yeah. And I, I just like, what? Like, that just, it's like, I don't even, I can't imagine getting addicted to that. But, I don't know. It happens. Why I'm so passionate about this project is kind of like what you were saying, is that these medicines have the power to radically alter your life for the better. When they are honored in the way that they're supposed to be honored, when they are facilitated in the way that they're supposed to be facilitated, when the aftercare is provided for the person, like it's incredible what these plants can do. And why I'm passionate about this project is because I've seen firsthand people just come into a ceremony with so much weight on them Mm -hmm. and to walk out of it like a completely different person, Mm -hmm. you know, I could start crying. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward to that project coming to fruition. Me too. For the people who need it and. You know, I don't know what form it's going to take. In my mind, I'm just imagining of a literal, like, a website forum or where people can Zoom or whatever they yeah, need to yeah. do. And, like, that, and in that way, you can reach out to people all over the country Absolutely. or world and they yeah. can have this place to communicate with each other. I mean, yeah. I, the most help I've ever received, I think from things anything in life i've gone through is just connecting with other people who have also gone through it yeah it's not therapy it's just to know that i'm not alone and having this experience and so just having people to talk to about it would be great and not feeling like crazy like sometimes like if you don't know anyone else that has done these oh yeah absolutely in the beginning i did not know anyone else who had done these things and so i felt like i was really like i tried to keep it hush hush like, even right now, I still feel weird talking about it sometimes because there's this, like, oh, you're this, like, Asheville hippie. Oh, you've done ayahuasca. Oh, great. Or the other thing where it's, like, oh, my God, she's doing drugs or, like, the yeah. you know, like, all these, like, and I don't care, like, think what you want to think. But here I am. You know, I still have those thoughts. But, like, I didn't have anyone other than the people I was with. So DMT, I had no one to talk to about it other than the two people who brought it to me. And then they were like world travelers and they were partiers too. So like they weren't on the same thought patterns as I was as far as what I was integrating. They were probably actually more leaning towards what you're talking about with the addiction piece of it. Yeah. So I was trying to integrate having just seen the heavens or whatever and like doing internet research for myself and like trying to connect that way. But then with the ayahuasca circle, I had, I, I, I definitely at least had the guy who ran that circle. He was more of like a yogi type mm-hmm. of person. And he said himself, he's like, I'm not a shaman. He, I think he did the right thing. Like he had a questionnaire that went out beforehand. Yeah. And then he had a questionnaire that went out after. And then he was there for people to talk to yeah. through email and whatnot yeah. afterwards. Good. So that was great and a very good listener and a wonderful person. And he's the person I called back. Mm. the second time to come set it up 
but um, definitely didn't have that hard depression time yeah. the second time. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely something for the listeners. If, if you find any interest in wanting to do these medicines, if the person tells you they're a shaman, run in the other direction yeah. as fast as you possibly can. Because actually, like true shaman, mm-hmm. there's very few. Because that path is a, a path of decades with these plants. And so what you have a lot of is you have a lot of people that have been given a blessing from the shaman to serve these medicines. And anybody that attaches and feels a need to tell you that they're a shaman, that's ego. Shaman don't tell you they're shaman. Right. Like you know that they are. Right. So... Anybody that's telling you that there is that they are one is is an ego attachment and run <laughs> run as far as fast and as far as you can from somebody like that. I'm excited for you. I know you're not in a place of excitement right now, but yeah. I can clearly see that you're the seed that's been buried a little bit right now. Yeah. And it's it's gonna be fun to watch you bloom again and yeah and see where everything takes you. And I just hope that you can remember that and try to find moments to stay in the present yeah. and not feel shame because we are all just human. And yeah. I don't really even want to say we fuck up. It's just being human. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, we just are learning. Yep. That's why I we're here. I have a feeling that the people that you have worked with, even if they're not being super gracious right now, I know who you are and I know the people you attach with. I'm sure that they will have forgiveness for you and whatever if they haven't already expressed that. And so it's just you you have to grapple with. Yeah. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for this opportunity to be vulnerable. Yeah. It It was a joy. It's always fun talking to you. And I'm excited for people to hear you talk as well. And um, if you want to talk to David about any of these things, you can email me at bornbyaccentpodcast at gmail.com and I'll send it over. Follow me on Instagram at bornbyaccidentpodcast. We mentioned, what was the book you mentioned that's Untethered? The Untethered Soul. So I'll probably by Michael Singer. Post that on there. We'll get a little selfie so you can see us. And. Yeah, we'll have any updates. So in the future, when some of these uh, plans come to fruition, I'll definitely be posting about it there so you can check it out. Thank you for listening and have a great week. Peace.